Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Judges. That's back in the clean white pages between uh, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then there's Judges and uh, Ruth. So, um, book of Judges, chapter 3, and verse 7. The title of my message is The Pattern of God's Deliverance. I, I recently remember seeing a story about this little girl that had fallen into this pit and they were trying to get her out and, and you know, people were kind of breathlessly waiting uh, for her to be released. They were doing these different processes trying to get her out. And eventually they were successful and they brought her up out of that pit. Uh, and what an amazing thing for that little girl. I'm sure it ended a traumatic period of her life. Uh, she probably will never forget it as long as she lives. But did you know that many people are in a pit spiritually? Uh, they are in a pit, uh, some who are in a pit because they're lost, they don't know Christ. So they're in a pit and they can't seem to find their way out. And there's nothing that will satisfy the human soul but Jesus. He's the only one who can bring somebody out of that pit. And so when a person comes to Christ... Jesus Christ lifts them up. He gives them his heart, uh, his spirit to live within. He, he changes them and makes them a new creation and puts them on the path to that abundant life. Uh, sometimes Christians can go through times of difficulty and times of struggle, and they can feel like they're in a pit. Well, I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus is in the business of delivering people. <laughs> He can save you from his, your sin. He can save you in your circumstance. Sometimes he could save you through your circumstance. But he is in the business of delivering and saving. Uh, this message is entitled, The Pattern of God's Deliverance, because I believe that's one of the things we see here in the Scripture today. Uh, Samuel is traditionally believed to be the author of Judges. And he uh, shares with us here in the scripture about um, uh, the judge that has come to deliver Israel. Now, there were many judges that came over time to deliver God's people. And the pattern was similar. Israel was living in sin. Uh, God had given them over and allowed them to be disciplined, uh, chastened to bring them back to right relationship. Eventually, they would get tired of their circumstance. They would cry out to God in distress, and God would raise up a deliverer for them. Now, uh, what happens in the book of Judges is that Israel, this cycle happens again and again, and when the judge dies, the people turn back to sin. Uh, and Judges is a very depressing book if you read all the way through it. It's a good book to read because it mirrors a lot of what's happening today in our culture. Uh, but it is also a depressing book because it continues to go down. Things continue to get worse and even the leaders uh, continue to get worse. So the salvation and the deliverance that these judges bring is a temporary salvation. And it's a salvation that can only change so much. But it is also a picture. An imperfect picture, but a picture of Jesus Christ who is to come. The perfect Savior 
and deliverer. Now, this isn't just mentioned, limited to the book of Judges. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, you find Bible characters that become a picture of Christ. That doesn't mean they're like Christ in every way, but that in certain characteristics, they look forward to that perfect deliverer. That's what we're going to see today. Jesus Christ, when he comes, will come to bring complete deliverance. His first coming, he brought deliverance from sin. He crushed Satan's head on the cross, and he rose from the dead three days later in victory, and then ascended to heaven. And God said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, and someday Jesus will come back at the second coming. He will come back, I believe, a little before the second coming in what's called the rapture, to rapture the church. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, he will rapture us or catch us up in the air uh, to meet Jesus. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so he will come to deliver us. Won't that be a great day? No more IRS. No more sickness. No more heartache. No more worry about this, that, or the other. You don't have to worry as a Christian, but a lot of times we do. Uh, None of this stuff. It will all be changed because Jesus, our deliverer, will come. And then at the end of that tribulation period, Jesus will come back and he will deliver the Jewish people. The Bible teaches that all the armies of the world will be gathered around Jerusalem. Uh, It is called the Battle of Armageddon, and Israel will have been persecuted, but Jesus will come back on the clouds of heaven, and they will look upon him, and they will mourn because of him. Jesus will deliver them, and by his very brightness, his enemies will be slain. What an amazing thing it will be to behold. And things will never be the same on this earth. There will be a picture, uh, a time of peace like we've never known. Jesus will bring in that time of peace and he will rule and reign uh, upon the earth. And, and um, the Bible teaches the devil will be released for a short time afterward. Uh, and the enemies of God destroyed again. And then there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And there will never again be any kind of trouble. That's the future. Jesus is coming. He's going to be a savior, a deliverer. So... The pattern of God's deliverance that we see here, let's go ahead and read this scripture because I believe it's important for us not only to recognize God's saving pattern but also to respond to him in faith, to to bring our our issues to him in prayer uh, and to look to him in times of difficulty to be our deliverer. Look at verse 7 with me. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot the Lord their God and worshipped the Baals and the Asherahs. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he sold them to Cushan Rishathim, king of Aram of the two rivers. And the Israelites served him eight years. The Israelites cried out to the Lord. So the Lord raised up Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, as a deliverer to save the Israelites. The Spirit of the Lord was on him, and he judged Israel. Othniel went out to battle, and the Lord handed over Cushan Rishathim, the king of Aram, to him, so that Othniel overpowered him. Then the land was peaceful forty years, and Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. 
So God's pattern of deliverance, how does God use people to bring deliverance or salvation? Uh, here, as he uses oath now, you'll see several things. First of all, he uses a Savior. He uses a Savior. In uh, verse 9, it says that Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, as a deliverer to save the Israelites. God raised him up as a deliverer. So he is a savior. Who did he save them from? He saved them from Cushan Rishathaim. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, and he delivered them from them by battle, by war. And then he ushered in a time of peace. Sound familiar? You see, the very thing Jesus was going to come to do, Othniel does in picture form, in pattern form. Last week we talked about a direct prophecy, a, a scripture that talks specifically and only about Jesus. Here we are talking about a literal historical event that happened in the life of Israel where God intervened in their circumstances, just like he intervenes in our circumstances today, but also it becomes a pattern of what God's going to do in the future. So, Othniel was a Savior, but we have a Savior who is available for our daily life and who is our hope for the future. I want to tell you something. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the children of Israel to be brought up out of Egypt? They'd been slaves. And matter of fact, uh, they had been given commands by the king to kill their babies, to drown them in the river. How would you like to have that for a, a government? And, and this was the situation they were living in. Day by day, they had severe toil, severe labor. Uh, there was no self-actualization that people talk about today, you know, finding ourselves and that kind of stuff. No, you couldn't do that. You were destined to be a slave, to... Spend your whole life toiling away for someone else. But then God delivered his people. And the Bible says they went out with songs and with shouts and, and with joy. And they praised God for the great deliverance he had brought. And then they saw the Red Sea open up and they went through on dry ground. And they got to the other side and saw the Egyptians drowned behind them. And they were full of joy. They sang a song, Miriam, led them in a song of worship. All the women were singing to God. And the men were worshiping God, I believe, too. They, they were excited. They were all amazed by what God had done and the great deliverance he had brought in their life. Now, I would dare say you haven't had a Red Sea parted this past week. I don't know. Some of you fishermen may have wanted God to part the water so you could go where the fish are. I don't know. But uh, you probably didn't see that happen. But I'm going to tell you something. God is just as real today as he ever has been. And he's still in the business of saving and delivering his people. Take your concerns to him in prayer. Take your burdens to him. Uh, pour out your heart to God. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. Uh, let God do his work of salvation in your life. And if you don't know Jesus, the greatest salvation that Jesus brings is a salvation from sin, death, and hell. And Jesus died on the cross and he took your penalty and the wrath of God upon himself. 
He took the judgment you yourself deserved upon himself. You say, well, I don't deserve judgment. Yes, you do. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus took your judgment. He said, it is finished. He gave his life and he rose again the third day so that you could be forgiven and saved. So that God could wipe away every sin you've ever committed. Colossians says he blots out the handwriting that was against it, takes it out of the way, and nails it to the cross of Christ. When a person trusts Christ, their sins are gone. I'm going to tell you, that's an awesome thing. God delivers you from hell. He gives you a home in heaven. Uh, in the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And uh, I, I think it's going to be an amazing thing that you will be able to enjoy. So God's salvation from your sin comes now when you choose to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. He saves you. You become God's child. But that's not all there is to it. There is a future salvation yet to come. The the finished, full, complete work of salvation is still yet future. And Jesus, when he comes back, will rapture his church. And then one day there will be the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And we will understand what life was always intended to be. That's his salvation that he brings to us. If you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you today to make your choice to turn from your sin and put your trust in him. I can tell you his sacrifice is sufficient for you. And he'll save your soul. Um, Jesus is faithful to save. And one day he will save us. Child of God, are you discouraged? Look ahead. We have a hope. First Peter calls it a living hope. I want to tell you something. I don't believe in some false hope because my Savior's tomb is empty. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. The Roman government couldn't stop Christianity. The Jewish leadership couldn't stop Christianity. Why? Because the eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Christ. He spent time teaching the people. I serve a risen Savior, and my hope is a living hope because one day, that same Jesus that rose from the dead is going to raise me up in the air. And if I happen to be in the ground, he's going to raise me up out of the ground. I think a cemetery would be an exciting place to be in the rapture. (laughs) Whoo, wow, talk about waking you up. Look to your hope. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. There are Christians in some parts of the world today who have no hope in the sense of, of the hope that you and I think about of, of, uh, of this persecution letting up. We talked about a pastor Wednesday night over in Iran who's been arrested for preaching the gospel. And they've been torturing him. They've been beating him so bad that he, he's been fainting. Uh, from, from the persecution. I'm going to tell you something. Some Christians in different parts of the world have it bad, but I'm going to tell you something. They still have a hope because this life is not all there is. One day Jesus is coming back. My salvation is, is awesome. If, if all that I had was what Jesus has done for me, it had been worth it. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not over. I have a hope. And so... Uh, Oath Nile saves these, these people through battle. Jesus Christ, can I tell you something? Nobody can 
stand against Jesus Christ in battle. (laughs) The devil has been crushed. Satan and his forces have a little bit of free reign here on this earth for a time. But the, the decisive battle's been won. And Jesus Christ, when he comes back, the Bible says this. Satan, the beast, the false prophet, will be thrown into the lake of fire. He can't stand against God. Every time Jesus came near a demon, they, the demon started screaming and saying, help us. Uh, because Jesus was so powerful. And they recognized it. Jesus would walk into the vicinity of where they were, and they were scared to death. You remember the guy named Legion? He had, called him Legion because there were so many, so many demons in him. And uh, all of these demons were afraid of Christ. Lord, please don't, uh, you know, don't send us to the abyss. Let us go in these pigs. You know? And so Jesus says, okay. So the demons go into the pigs. I want to tell you something. God is not afraid of the devil. And neither should you and I be. If you know Christ, you're God's child. You're born of God. The evil one can't touch you. He can tempt you, but he can't do anything to you but what God allows. You're his child. I'm going to tell you something. We serve a mighty warrior, Jesus Christ. No one can stand against him. So, trust in your Savior. So, the pattern of God's deliverance, God uses a Savior. God also uses a lion. A lion. You say, where do you see that in the scripture? Well, it's in the name, Oath Nile. Oath Nile means lion of God. Did you know that when Jacob blessed his 12 sons, it was a kind of a, like a prophecy. We speak of blessing, we think of God giving us something, but a blessing uh, for them uh, when they were pronouncing a blessing was a prophetic pronouncement about the future of that particular child. And so when Jacob blessed Judah, he said, Judah is a lion's whelp. And, and he begins to, to talk about Judah being lion-like and the tribe of Judah being lion-like. And guess what? Jesus Christ came as a lamb the first time. But he will come back the second time as a lion. He'll come back to make war. And his enemies will be destroyed. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing that can stand in the way of, of Jesus Christ. He is a lion. He is, you know what everybody did? Even the, the prophets did when they saw just a vision. I mean, they couldn't actually look upon God or they would have died. But when they just saw a vision of, the, of Christ or a, of God, they fell flat on their face in terror. There will be, I hear some people say, well, I won't, you know, I'll just uh, laugh with my buddies and go to hell. I don't care. No, there'll be nobody laughing at the judgment. The power of God is so great. And, and by the way, God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. You send yourself there through your choice to reject Christ. But God's power is so great. And Jesus describes himself as a lion. Why? Because some people think Jesus is a wimp. They do. I can't stand these pasty paintings of Jesus where he looks like a girl. Have y'all seen those things? Number one, I know he didn't look like a girl because he was a carpenter. He would have had calluses on his hands. He probably would have been tanned. Uh, You know, he would have had some muscles to him. 
uh, he wouldn't have been a wimp. But that's the way people paint Jesus. They think he's, well, he's just a wimp. He, you know. And many people treat him that way in their life. They think Jesus is a wimp. And so they go about living their lives as though nothing will ever happen as a consequence of their lifestyle. But Jesus is not just a lamb. He is a lion. He's powerful. Somebody can say, peace be still to the sea, to the, to the waves, to the weather. Uh, Jesus is able to speak into the situations of our lives. I was talking uh, with somebody this morning about uh, Lazarus. Jesus, all he had to do was just say, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was laying there dead. And he came back to life. I mean, that's power. Jesus can speak into your life. He can speak into my life. Sometimes he may not change our circumstances. He may give us the strength to go through those circumstances. Sometimes he will. It's amazing what God can do. Uh, some of the answers to prayer that I've seen. We, we had a guy one time, uh, my last church, and he'd not been to church Probably in nine months. And uh, we'd visit, we'd done everything trying to get him to come to church and he wouldn't come. Well, one morning I just felt led in my quiet time to pray for Thomas. And pray for him to come to Sunday school and church. So I did. God was just kind of showing off, you know, not just bring him back to church, but to bring him back to Sunday school too, you know. Uh, so I drive up, and the only I think the janitor was the only person there, and I was coming early, and there's Thomas standing right outside the Sunday school building. It was still locked. He's standing there waiting. I said, I said God, you're awesome. I'll tell you something. There's nothing God can't do. He's able. Jesus Christ is a lion. The king of beasts, Jesus is the king of all. <laughs> he, he is the king like no other king. He has no one to compare to. Uh, the, the measuring stick is too short to measure Jesus and to measure his power and to measure his wisdom. He is a lion. Earthly lions can sometimes be killed. I, I was really impressed. I heard that uh, the, the Maasai tribe in Africa, in order to become a man in the Maasai tribe, you have to kill a lion. So they go out with a spear to kill a lion. That's how they become a man in the, in the Maasai tribe. Like, those guys are men. Uh, you know, but uh, Jesus is the lion no one can defeat. Any line of history. The Babylonians had their symbols of lions. They fell at the prediction of the Lord. Daniel pronounced the sentence and they fell. We serve an awesome, mighty God. And one day he's going to come back. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to fight a ferocious fight. By the power of his brightness, his enemies will be destroyed. By his words, his enemies. You know, have you seen those uh, movies where, you know, they have these big cannons, you know, and the cannon will go and it knocks out like a 
hundred guys at once and stuff. I think it's going to kind of be like that. He'll speak and his enemies will be destroyed and annihilated. That's power. Jesus will come back and he'll fight an awesome fight. That's the God that fights your battles and mine. You ever thought about that? Your problems aren't all that big. Put your trust in Jesus. When you have a battle that you're fighting, ask him to be involved to show you what to do. Ask him through his strength to intervene in circumstances. You know, we serve an awesome God and he's able. Jesus wants to intervene in your circumstance. So, God, this is a pattern of God's deliverance. Oftentimes he uses a savior. He uses a lion. He uses an anointed one. Verse 10. The spirit of the Lord was on him. You'll find this again and again. Now, there were some who were actually physically anointed with oil in the Bible. The priests, uh, certain kings were. David was anointed. Solomon. uh, Saul was anointed with oil. Uh, and so it was a picture of the Spirit of God being upon that particular king. Or, or, but the picture here is of Othniel having the Spirit of God upon him for his task. Now, Jesus is God the Son. He has all power. But guess what? doesn't stop there. <laughs> the Spirit anointed him. You find uh, at Jesus' baptism... Jesus walks into the water to be baptized by John the Baptist, not because he needed to be because of sin, but as an example of what we're supposed to do uh, to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus said. So uh, Jesus is there. The Spirit descends from heaven as a dove would descend. John sees something. Probably he sees uh, some kind of a maybe a bird. Maybe he doesn't see anything, but he sees the Spirit descending. I don't know exactly how it happened, but... Uh, like a dove descends, the Spirit descended upon Jesus. You could tell that was taking place. And the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, Isaiah says that the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of counsel, and the Spirit of might will be upon him, predicting what would happen for Jesus Christ. You say, well, why does it matter that Jesus is the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. That's what Christ means, the anointed one. Well, it means you've got the cooperative work of the power of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working in concert together. Jesus has the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, You can go to him with your problems. He is the wonderful counselor. Isaiah directly predicted what Jesus would be like when he said, and he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Jesus is the one who has the counsel for your life. People go to all different kinds of places to get counsel, but go to God and his word for counsel. Seek the Lord in prayer for counsel. Jesus delivers through his spirit and through prayer. You go to him in prayer. As you take your problems to him, he 
the lights to answer. So, uh, he uses an anointed one. I mentioned the priests were anointed, the kings were anointed. Uh, It doesn't mention a literal anointing, but it does mention the Spirit of God was upon him. And that is said several times in Judges, of different Judges. The Spirit of God is upon him. The Spirit of God is upon him. And through this supernatural power, this judge, Othniel, was able to do the will of God. By the way, you have that Holy Spirit living within you, if you're a child of God, to do the work of God and the will of God. But the idea is that there was a spirit of counsel. He was able to do the things, not just in battle. Othniel was able to do the things in battle he needed to do. But also, as he governed the people for 40 years, God's spirit was upon him to do the things that he needed to do. God empowers his people, but God has anointed Christ to show that there is an agreement. Did you know nobody forced Jesus to go to the cross? He went willingly. The Father sent him, but Jesus went willingly. He said, no one takes my life from me. I'll lay it down. There's a a combined will. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, I'd just, I'd take take either. There's three persons, one God. I don't understand all of that, but I, I believe it's true. God, in all of his might, will reveal himself in Christ. Jesus is the anointed one. Come to him for counsel. Come for him to him for wisdom. And he is the one who supplies it. Uh, trust him to do things well. You know, sometimes we don't understand life. We, uh, Ravi Zacharias wrote a book called The Grand Weaver. And he spoke of this complicated weaving process that they do in the East and how uh, they would make these beautiful garments and it would take a long period of time to do it and the son would just when the father would make a signal the son would would change things over and and go back and forth but it looked like it made absolutely no sense but on the completed side when everything was done it was this beautiful work that a bride would wear on her wedding day it's a picture of what Jesus does in our lives sometimes we don't understand life we don't understand what's going on But you can trust God in the middle of it because we serve the wonderful counselor. Jesus is our anointed one. Pattern of God's deliverance, he uses a savior. He uses a lion. He uses an anointed one and he uses a governor. Verse 10 says, he judged Israel. That word judge... um, it's not so much a courtroom. Some of the judges acted in that way, but it was, uh, it was a word that was used that meant he governed the people. Uh, and it's a word that is used to describe and be a picture of Jesus' future governing. Now, the judges, they had a lot of problems. You want some interesting reading? and uh, it's, it's not edited out. I mean, it's, it's just all there right in black and white. I mean, <laughs> in all its ugliness. Some of these judges were, were real characters. Jesus is perfect in his rule and his governing. Can you imagine a place where there are never any bad news? I, I really can't even wrap, wrap my mind around that. When Jesus rules, he will reverse the curse 
of this earth. Did you know uh, there was a time where snakes didn't bite people and and, uh, kill them? There was a time where lions didn't eat lambs. Uh, Before the curse took place uh, and sin entered the picture, there was a perfect creation. The Bible says that this creation groans waiting for the adoption of the children of God. You see, when Jesus comes back, he's going to reverse the curse. And Isaiah talks about this. He says, the lion will lay down with the lamb and... And the, the, the little child will play with an adder, uh, with a viper, and won't be killed. I mean, it will be, it, it, it's, we can't even really comprehend that. The curse will be there, will be changed. There will be no more curse. No more hurricanes or tornadoes or tsunamis, nothing. The earth will be restored to its original condition, and Jesus will rule with perfect wisdom perfect righteousness. He will govern the people of the world. I'm going to tell you something. We have a whole lot to look forward to as God's people. Jesus is our perfect deliverer. He's our governor. You know, the, the Americans in, in the early years set up our society to be built on the principles of God's word. It's one of the reasons I think our, our country has enjoyed the blessing that it has. And we've begun to move away from that, unfortunately, as a nation. But that's just a taste. They, they, there were sinners in that group. Because the Bible says we're all sinners. There has never been a time in the history of mankind where we have experienced a culture, a government, a society like it will be when Jesus comes. It's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. Jesus, the pattern of God's deliverance is also the pattern of government. Jesus will come back and he will rule and reign. And, uh, and he shall reign forever and ever. Never, it will never end. I don't know, I'm excited about that. God's deliverance. God often uses the Savior... A lion, an anointed one, and a governor. Have you bowed the knee to Jesus as your governor? You see, Jesus said the kingdom of God is here, but he also said the kingdom of God is future. What is he talking about? The kingdom of God is here. Those who bow the knee to Christ, turning from their sin, putting their trust in Him, became a part of the kingdom of God on this earth. Did you know the kingdom of God is here? And it's future. Will you bow the knee to Christ? All of us will one day. Will you do it today? Say, why should I do that? Because Jesus wants to save your soul. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit within your heart. He wants to give you his joy and his peace. He wants to forgive your sin, take away your judgment. Because he loves you. But you must make a choice to put your trust in him. 
We're going to have a time of invitation here in just a moment. But I want you to understand, this is the time you need to act. You need to make that choice why you can. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Christian, maybe you're here today and you're already a believer. You've made that choice, but maybe you've gotten away from God. You haven't bowed the knee to Christ. Can I tell you, you need to make that choice. Say why? Because even though you're saved from sin, you won't know the abundant life without bowing the knee to Christ. People don't realize that. They think, well, my sin doesn't matter. It's a little sin. It doesn't matter. And nobody knows about it. It doesn't matter. Uh, It's not hurting anybody. There's all these excuses we use. But can I tell you something? You cannot persist in sin and have the abundant life. You can't. You can't have God's joy. You can't have God's full power that he wants to have on your life without Christ being Lord in your life. Will you bow the knee and let God have his way in your life? If you do, God will use you in a way that you won't believe he will. Maybe you're here and you've been discouraged by life. You just needed to remember that we have a Savior who can take care of it. We have a a lion in our corner. We have the mighty Jesus Christ who provides what we need. Maybe you need wisdom and counsel. The altar is open. You can ask God, uh, Jesus is here. Will you respond to him? Father, thank you so much for uh, what you've shown us in your word. Thank you for giving us a pattern, Lord, so many times where we...